break that down for you. When you're reading the Gospels, you're reading a story. The story begins, and Jesus crossed the lake of Genesaret. And then there's an account of what happened there. And then he got back in the boat, and he goes over. And then it says, and the next day. So there's easy transition points. But when you're reading in the epistles, the epistles are so filled with doctrine. They're so filled with teaching. And they were originally written in a, in a letter form, not a uh, book form that we have here today with chapters and verses. And so it was the heart of an apostle instructing the church in both principles that affected them corporately and individually. It affected their relationship with each other. It affected the witness that they would uh, be to the people around them. And it certainly affected their vertical communion with God. And sometimes it's difficult in the midst of the context, the chapters, sometimes the chapters and verses, they weren't added to like the 1800s or so. So chapters and verses uh, often aren't appropriately placed. It was the, in the mind of someone that thought, well, this is a good place to stop. And if you really look at it closely, sometimes you'll say, man, that verse was better with the preceding chapter rather than with the succeeding chapter. So I'm sure you've caught that yourself as you've studied, and, and I'll, I'll show you that in just a moment. So let me give you an example, and this is kind of where we're going to be kind of just roaming around for a little bit today, not just a particular, but we're, we're going to kind of just glean from a few places, not a lot of Scripture. The, the context of enduring faith, the faith that endures through persecution and trial, is most noted famously in Hebrews 11. Many of you are familiar with what we call the Hebrews Hall of Faith. I mean, you're familiar. We're going to highlight a few of that, a few of those folks here in just a few moments. But the reality is, if you study the scriptures, it doesn't begin in Hebrews 11. Rather, that that it begins in chapter 10, in the latter part of chapter 10, and it doesn't end in chapter 11. It extends into chapter 12 with the emphasis on enduring faith. And so, one of the main purposes of that particular passage and also uh, and, and, and other passages is that often there is a main purpose that's hidden in the text or just a, might just be a few words. And yet, the context around it, before it and after it, is actually supportive doctrine. So, let, let me just take your, we're going we're to be in Hebrews 11 here today. Many of you that have studied the scriptures, you're familiar with Hebrews 11. It's the faith chapter, the hall of faith. But let me just say this. There's a, there's a deeper truth that's contained in part of it that is talking about, again, the, the extension of uh, a certain promise. The extension of this is, is, is it was not just to record these mighty men and women of God's testimony. The mighty men and women of God's testimony is designed by God to be inspirational to us. But the context of Hebrews 11 reveals to us that the author is simply saying is despite the tremendous uh, exploits of faith that were exhibited in the lives of these men and women, they without us were not made perfect. In essence, as powerful as they were, there was a few things that they were not able to achieve. And the reason why they couldn't achieve those things is because they weren't able under that old covenant to receive the greatest empowerment of God, and that is the Holy Spirit. Because Paul referenced, he said, or excuse me, the author of Hebrews ref, reference is that 
that they, they obtained a lot of things, but they didn't receive the promise. That promise was twofold. It was eternal life, number one. Man, I'm grateful for eternal life today. This fleeting world will pass away, right? But all who have put their faith in Christ, right? And we will abide with him forever. That's what the promise of the word of God. And with that promise of eternal life comes God's down payment on that promise. And that is we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest. The Bible says it is the earnest of our inheritance. And so in essence, he's again reminding us we have the witness of eternal life. We have the witness of eternal life in our hearts today because the Holy Spirit if you were to go to Romans 8, which was my, intention, my original intention today, the Bible says in Romans 8, his spirit has joined with your spirit and has declared you to be a child of God, right? And so I know that I'm born again today because I've received in my spirit the indwelling Holy Spirit and I have communion with the Father. I don't have to go to a temple to worship God. I don't have to go to a sanctuary or a shrine in any such thing, I don't have to climb a mountain or I don't have to go to a lowest place on earth to show my humility. In my communion with God, I can commune with the Father in my heart continually, right? Because I'm joined to His Spirit by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's the truth of the passage. Much of the other doctrine, a lot of the other doctrine is to support that particular truth. Now, the overall doctrinal theme, I'm just, I love doctrine. I know I'm one of those weird pastors. I don't preach a lot of stories. I just, I love truth. I tell you what, because I just like to get the meat of the word of God in my heart and life. I don't want to be found guilty of saying I spent my whole life with a, a spiritual bottle in my mouth. Well, we're, we're, we're teasing Anna, our little granddaughter. She's got a passy in her mouth now. And then she starts trying to talk. And we're like, Anna, I can't, I mean, because she can just go on and on. But it's hard when you've got a passy in your mouth. And there's a lot of Christians with pass. Come on, somebody. Let's just, you know, I don't want to be that. I want, I want to be that person that God is maturing in my faith. And I hope that you do as well. And so the overall doctrinal theme of the book of Hebrews is instruction and encouragement for the Hebrew believers. The Hebrew, that means those that have been that previously uh, converted or were born into Judaism, but then were confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they made a commitment to Christ. But any of you that are familiar with the history of the early church is the Judaizers put pressure on those within Judaism that had accepted Christ. And there was a lot of persecution. We talked about one of the number one persecutors of the early church last Wednesday the, before he became the apostle Paul. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. And when you read the book of Hebrews, you see that the instruction there is to encourage them and to remind them of the insufficiencies of the Mosaic law and its sacrificial system. Reminding them, famous passages such as, not by the blood of bullocks or of goats, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. Contrasting that with the high priest who went into the holy place once a day or twice a day and only into the most holy place once a year. But this man, the writer would say, offered one sacrifice for sin forever, glory to God, and he sat down on the right hand of God. And when you read the book of Hebrews, you get all intrigued because you find out that 
that Jesus was not only the sacrifice, and it was his blood was the propitiation, which means the atonement for our sins, but not only was he the sacrifice, but he's also the priest. And so now that he's offered the sacrifice, he himself has sat down at the right hand of God where he intercedes for you and I. And therefore, you can come boldly into the throne room of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. And the Bible says that he is able to save to the uttermost uh, all those that come unto God by him and through him. And so what a powerful revelation it is for us in the book of Hebrews. And that's why the writer is encouraging them because they're being they're being tempted in their mind to go back to a sacrificial system that God has shown was only a schoolmaster to point them to Christ. The blood of bullocks and goats could never take away sin because it didn't have enough merit or value in heaven. That's why Peter said the precious blood of Jesus, of all the things in the earth that have value, the greatest of value of a tangible substance that could pay the price for man's redemption was the precious blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross of Calvary. And the writers are urging them, don't go back. Don't go back to that antiquated system that God has fulfilled because Jesus' blood is sufficient. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so it's in that context that we begin to transition here. So the author is reminding the Hebrew believers of their initial struggle. And that's where I want to draw your first attention in a passage here is in Hebrews chapter number 10 for a moment in verse number 32. I believe we'll read verse 32 and 35. For the author there is just reminding them that it's not always been easy to serve God for them. Did you know that there are some people that come to God in the midst of tribulation, persecution, that in order to accept Christ, they have to walk away many times from their family, suffer uh, persecution from the community, and many have even suffered death. And the author here, this 32nd verse of the 10th chapter, is reminding them. And he said, you know, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great, listen, you a great struggle with sufferings. I don't know if I told them to post the 33rd verse, but I'm going to read it. Partly while you were made a spectacle by the reproaches and the tribulations. You were made a spectacle. Paul's, or the author is reminding them that when they came to Christ, it wasn't easy, and it's still not easy. And so the author is reminding them to not cast away. You've already endured. He's saying, you've come this far. You know, don't go back. That come this far with God. Don't turn back to that system that does not produce the necessary results. You've made when you were born into the kingdom, you were born in child. God showed Himself faithful to you. He kept you in the midst of it. So look at that 31st, 35th verse. It says, So therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Don't begin to put your confidence in the system that God has proven to have been satisfied because now your confidence must be in the eternal work of Christ accomplished at the cross. It's a powerful passage of Scripture because it promises great reward. I believe there's great reward for those that will endure to the end. I believe there's great reward for those that when we stand before God, He'll say, enter in to the joys of the Lord. And so there's a promise here in the 36th verse. It says, and an exhortation, you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. 
And then the 39th verse, here he simply says this. It's an exhortation. He says, we are not of those who draw back. So the author here is aware that there are some that have come so far and then the world and then the system and the pressure and the age and religious teachings and the devil's work begins to pull them back. Pull them back. But the author says, we're not of those who are drifting back. We're of those that are more made of a sterner uh, 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 faith. We're of those that have counted all but lost. Come on, somebody, for the excellency of his glory. We're of those that are refusing to back up. We're of those that are going forward by faith in Christ. And so then he begins here. So now we see that Hebrews 11, again, the context of those that had Faith in God didn't begin in chapter 11. It began in, 30, in, the, in the latter end of the 10th chapter where he says, we are not of those who draw back, but here's who we're with. These are the folks we're running with. You know, you got you to know who you're running with, right? And, and you need to know who you're associated with. And so the author here begins to take us on a journey. And he begins to show us and remind the, the writers of people whose faith became their distinguishing characteristic. And I'll tell you, I've told you before, and I'm going to say it again in this pulpit. I believe that you should be identified by your faith. I believe that's the thing that should mark you. It shouldn't be your uh, business agreement or arrangements, whether you're successful or not successful. If you are an athlete, it shouldn't be that you're remembered by the fact that you were a good athlete or whether you are a scholarly student in school. But people, when they think of you, they ought to be able to think, man, that was a man or a woman of God. They had faith in God. They trusted God. They, They sold themselves out for the kingdom of God. And so in this passage of Scripture here that we're just going to just glean over, the author here is reminding them, again, of a faith, an enduring faith is a spiritual virtue that you must possess in times of affliction. The author is reminding them just briefly of the history of God's people whose faith gave them testimony before God. The Bible says in this passage of Scripture that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're going to come to God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. You cannot just sit back and say, well, if God wants, no, you've got to trust in the Lord. You've got to, see, God's dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every man and woman under the sound of my voice inside of you is the capacity to believe. If you have the ability to breathe, then you have the ability to believe. And with that belief, you can trust the Lord. You can trust him for salvation and you can trust him for deliverance. You can trust him to take you through difficult seasons of life. You can trust him to be there with you when everything's not going so well. And so the author here calls by name 16 individuals whose life and their example of faith has become a testimony before God. He calls out, I won't go into all the depth, but I just want to highlight their names. He calls out Abel who offered a sacrifice to God suffered reproach for his sacrifice he calls out Enoch who walked with God and was taken and we believe many believe he still has an eternal purpose yet to be revealed he calls out by name Noah 
who in the midst of a world gone mad, who heard from God, built a house or a boat to the preparing and the saving of his house, and he became uh, of the lineage. All of us can trace our faith back to faithful Noah who saved his house on that ark that survived the floodwaters. The scripture tells us about Abraham who went out. Many of you have gone out before, but it wasn't. that's when you were going to dinner because it says he went out not knowing whither he went. But Abraham went out not knowing what direction. He just said, God, go. God told him to go, and he went, not knowing where he was going. And he found himself to be a stranger and a sojourner and a pilgrim. But the Bible says that he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so his faith still marks us 2,500 years later. Sarah had faith when her barren womb could no longer carry life. But she heard the word of God that a year from now, you're going to bring forth a bouncing baby boy. And the Bible says, by faith she believed, and God caused life to come into her womb. Come on, somebody. The Bible tells us about Jacob, who leaned upon his staff when he blessed Joseph. The Bible tells us about Joseph, by faith, said, don't leave my bones in Egypt. Because I may have been sent to Egypt. I may have lived like an Egyptian, but I'm not an Egyptian. Take my bones back to the promised land. Glory to God. I read about Moses' parents when I read the book of Hebrews. And I love, I, you know, I could preach about Moses' parents. Amram and Jochebed. Come on, somebody. Amen. Just, I mean, that name, those names just have an anointing upon them. Think of their children. Think of their children. By faith, they saw that Moses was a goodly child. But it wasn't just that child that was Miriam. Come on. Aaron. Right? All the children. Miriam was a prophetess. Aaron was the high priest. And Moses was the prophet of God. I'm telling you, I believe in family blessing. Come on, somebody. I believe in the favor and the blessing of God upon entire households as I read the Scripture. Moses, the Bible says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, esteeming the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures of all of Egypt. He looked like an Egyptian. He had been raised to be an Egyptian. But deep inside his heart was a faith in the Hebrew God and so he forsook all that he had been raised to be to be the man God had called him to be and he stands to us today as a testimony of a man of faith and then we can't read that list without being reminded of Rahab Oh, Rahab, and we could preach about Rahab today, the harlot who hid the spies but trusted in a scarlet thread Come on, somebody, a scarlet thread, not knowing that when she hung that thread in the casement of her window, that there was a prophetical antitype to the blood of Jesus Christ, that preachers around the world would one day tell her testimony that she hung a scarlet thread and saved her house, and preachers would preach to lost people, put your faith in the scarlet red blood of Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved like Rahab's house. My God, I feel Jesus in the house today. And so there are 16 individuals and also parents and prophets that are mentioned. And then in the 32nd verse of the book of Hebrews, the author here begins to summarize. He says this, time would fail me. Pastors feel that many times. Time would fail us. Time fails us to consider. And he said, I can't even tell you about these men. I don't have time to tell you about how Gideon won a great battle with just 300 men against thousands of soldiers. He said, I can't even tell you about Barak, who was raised up and won a great victory for God. I'm not even going to take the time to tell you about how Samson 
was moved in the camp by the Spirit of God and took the jawbone of an ass and destroyed the lives of a thousand Philistines while they waged their war with swords and shields and spears, but his faith was in Almighty God. He said, I don't even have time to tell you about, about Jephthah, and I don't have time to tell you about David who killed Goliath on the valley floor of Elah. I don't have time to tell you about Samuel and the prophets because he said, There's, if I was to try to tell you, I'm sure he said I would have been writing for chapter and chapter and chapter and chapter of all the exploits. And then he just highlights very quickly the 33rd verse. He said, look what happened because I'm telling you faith can move a mountain. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? I said, Jesus said that by faith you can tell a mountain to be cast into the sea and it's got to obey you. And so he said, these men and women, look at this. By faith, they subdued kingdoms. They subdued entire kingdoms by faith. By faith, they worked righteousness. By faith, they obtained promises. You know how you're going to get anything from God? You've got to trust God. You know how any th- you're going to receive the blessings of God? It's when you believe for the blessings of God. When you say, God, you said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Come on, somebody. I'm going to receive it in my life because God's promised it. The Bible says they obtained promises and they stopped the mouths of lions. Now, God, time fails us to tell about Daniel thrown into a lion's den and got up the next day to testify that during the night God sent an angel. I believe God can still send an angel to... Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is written in the Word of God. It says out, look at this. It says that they quenched the violence of fire, the 34th. That means fire was stopped, not by, you know, in our generation, we've got the the airplanes that come by when there's a, a forest fire and they drop the water and they try to put out the fire. But it says here that these were men and women by faith. The same faith that Jesus silenced the storm, somebody stopped the fire. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I feel that. And the edge of the sword, they escaped. Sometimes the greatest victory is just getting out of the way. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. These weren't always men and women of great physical ability, but God supernaturally made them strong. God strengthened them for the fight or the flight that they were a part of. The scripture says here, let's go on down. It says they became strong, they became valiant in battle, and they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So they routed the enemy. Standing on the book of Deuteronomy that said the enemy's going to come in one way, but he's going to flee before you seven ways. Has anybody here ever prayed that prayer? I have. I prayed that prayer and say the enemy may have come in this way. But I'll tell you, when we wage our sword, Father, in the name of Jesus, he's going to scatter seven ways. And so they ran and they scattered, the Bible says. And then it said that women received their dead raised to life again. My God. That means people, that children whose bodies, the, the breath of life had been taken away. But they didn't believe that it was the time of the death of their child. And they held on to a promise from God. And God brought those children back to life again. Scripture records at least two in the Old Testament that you can read yourself. But this is where chapters and verses, transitions even in verses, are not always what we seem to be consistent. Because in my belief, it would be a great place to have summarized the 33rd, the 34th, and the 35th verse all into one package. 
the beginning of the 35th verse. Because all of, all of a sudden, the author then, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to transition about the testimony of faith. Because not everybody that raised their sword in faith survived the battle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen to this. Look at this passage. But they still died in faith. But look what it says. Others were tortured. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Look what it said in the 36th verse. It said, others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Others were put in chains and imprisonment. And the author here is looking back to the history of the Jewish people that had been violently persecuted for their faith in the one true God, Yahweh. Many were stoned. Look at this. Some were even sawn in two. Some were tempted in all types of temptations. Some were slain with the sword. Some wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Not everybody walked in the fullness of the blessing of a prosperity message. Some were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Leap on down to the latter part of the 38th verse. Some wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And the author said of that folk, that the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy for a people that faced trial but didn't give up. The world was not worthy for a people to pray for the healing of their child and their child died, but they didn't give up. The world wasn't worthy to be compared to the faith of those whose loved one walked away from them, whose spouse turned their back on them, but they didn't give up. I feel the Spirit of God in here today because I feel like I'm preaching to somebody. That in your heart, you would want to be numbered with David and Jephthah and Moses and Aaron and those others. But I want you to know that God shows us that faith, faith, the enduring faith, the enduring faith is the most glorious faith, even greater than the conquering faith. Because when the victory doesn't come, there are some that turn and go back to the world. But it says of these men and women... These men and women, they endured a great trial of affliction and things didn't go the way they wanted to, but they didn't give up. They continued to trust in God. They continued to believe in God that God would one day make all things right in an eternal city where the Lamb is the light and where roses never fade. And so my heart came to this house today with I just had this thought in my mind for the last few days just kind of like a psalm. Just like a psalm of whom the world is not worthy. I'm praying God is raising up a faith in our hearts 
that one day, maybe on our headstone, maybe on our tombstone, maybe our children and our children's children will walk through the, the, the grassy hillsides of a cemetery somewhere in these Ozark Mountains, and there will be the title that says, uh, your name right there and below it, it says, of whom the world is not worthy. Because you were faithful to God. Everything didn't go right. Some people turned their back on you. You faced sickness and disease, and life was never easy. But you didn't give up. You continued to believe. You continued to hope. And now you're enjoying the glorious inheritance that belongs to the saints of God. The world is not worthy. You know, I wrote it this way in my own thoughts. As my life changes, and I see my children grow and go, and that's not always a bad thing. It does make going out to eat a little bit easier on the wallet. You're just about to receive that, Joe Day. Walk in it. Walk in it. My compassion and my empathy and my admiration grows for those who have suffered for their faith in Christ. Because you and I have such freedoms. You know, this passage is not about Christians. This passage is about Hebrew men and women before the cross. But it could easily have been extended because many in the first century perished at the hands of Roman swords or Jewish swords. And from that time till now, to believe in God is not always easy. Are y'all hearing me today, church family? We're living in a generation when the things that we have writ we've read about in antiquity are coming to pass right in front of our eyes. We're living in a generation where Christians are being crucified once again for their faith in Christ. We're, re we're living in a generation when families lose all their assets if they put their faith in Christ. We're, reading, we're living in a generation when the brutality of Rome, the brutality of Rome is being relived through not just ISIS, but South or North Korea and behind the what formerly the bamboo curtain and Christians have perished behind the iron curtain in Russia for years and years and years. And when I think about them, there's a genuine compassion in my heart as I think about the freedoms that we have. And I pray that God and all that we have somehow do a work in our lives where we too, it can be said of us, the world is not worthy. Like Moses, may we esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. As God blesses your life, I'm getting ready to close. As God blesses your life, always remember and pray for those that are persecuted for their faith. And pray that in you would be a faith that if you ever face that type of persecution, that you will not give up. You'll continue to trust in God. The writer continues this thing. He said, Pastor, well, how do I do that? I'm going to show you as I close. How do I do that? See, this theme doesn't end. This theme here in Hebrews 11, when the chapter ends, the theme doesn't end. Because I, I got to show you a way. You say, well, Pastor Brown, 
what am I to do when my wife leaves me? What am I to do when I when I when I when I when I'm going through a great financial hardship and, I, and I'm questioning, I lost my house or I lost my car. Or what, what am I to do? God? How, how am I going to continue to endure? Pastor, you've got to show me something. Well, number one, let me tell you this. The testimony of those men and women is a witness for you. That's why they're called a cloud of witnesses. That's extracted from the culture of ancient uh, Greece and the great amphitheaters where the competition, like in a great... Uh, athletic event in our generation when the battle or the wrestling match or the race is being run on the arena floor and there are those that are in the audience that are cheering on the participants. And so the author here uses that as an analogy. And he says, if you could just look into the heavens right now, you would see Moses saying, come on, you can do it. You would hear Abraham saying, you can do it. You can believe God. You would see David saying, come on, you can do it. You can make it. You can make it just because somebody left you. God didn't leave you, right? So you'd hear their testimony. And so the author is saying, take uh, trust and, and let that be an encouragement to you. And then the author says in the first verse of the 12th chapter, and he says, because of that, you need to lay aside everything that can hinder you. Because we all got a race to run and nobody can run it for you. Right? We can run alongside you. We can encourage you, but we can't run it for you. You've got to run your race. So the author here says, lay aside everything. Don't let anything cause you to stumble. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the finish. And he said, as a matter of fact, the author says, I'm paraphrasing, if you really need a stimulus, if you really need something, he said, I told you about Abraham, the father of the faith. I told you about Moses. I told you about David, Jephthah. I told you about Sarah, and I told you about Rahab. But if you really need encouragement, he said, let me tell you about the one that came down out of heaven, emptied himself of, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, and was born of a virgin. He walked among us for 30 years. He looked like just the average Yeshua, the average Jesus in that culture, but but on the day that the Spirit of God baptized him in the River Jordan, it was then that we knew that that was no ordinary man. That was the man Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Remind yourself of his love. Remind yourself of his power. Remind yourself of his endurance on the cross. Remind yourself of him being beaten and wounded. Remind yourself of when they put a crown of thorns on his head. Remind yourself when a Roman soldier pierced his side. Remind yourself when they drove spikes in his hands and his feet. Remind yourself of the love that he showed and the enduring faith when he didn't give up on God and he kept his mind set on eternity. Remind yourself of Jesus. Hallelujah. And when you do that, when you do that, then you can keep your eyes on the prize and you'll run your race to completion. And it will be said of you one day, of whom the world was not worthy. Is it you, Brother Aaron? Faith. Faith. It's faith, church family. He said in the third verse, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. It's easy to be discouraged. Is that right? Am I, am I telling the truth today? It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to feel like nobody cares. 
said, Pastor, I'm not fighting a battle where somebody's trying to kill me with a sword, but that doesn't mean you're not fighting a battle. Is that right? You got battles to fight. Nobody's ever said it's going to be easy. If they did, they were doctrinally inaccurate. Matter of fact, let me just say that I'm wrong. Some say it is going to be easy. And we have, we have created a false uh, mindset of what it means to be a Christian. Part of being a Christian is enduring to the end. Enduring to the end. And I just want to encourage you today, if you're in a battle today, it's all right. If things aren't easy in your life right now, that's okay. God is with you. Don't give up on Him. He's there. And take, many times I tell people, take one day at a time. Right? Stop comparing yourself to others. God's with you where you're at. He's not forgotten you. He knows your travail. He knows the sorrow of your soul. He knows whether you're up or down. He knows. And I'm telling you, if you'll continue to believe, if you'll continue to believe, God will sustain you. Right? I didn't say God would change everything in your situation. I'm not going to get up here and, and promise a false, you know, promise here today that if you'll just do these three things, everything's going to just be part. No. I'm telling you, that the situation may not change, but you can change through a, through a confidence in God. So I just want to pray with people today, just kind of as a collective group. And if I can remind you of anything as I get ready to dismiss you before prayer, I want to pray with you just as a group. Can y'all just say that with me real quickly? Of whom the world is not worthy. That's the testimony I want my children to remember me one day. That's the testimony that I want you to remember me. I hope that's the desire in your heart. That we can look at our lives and say our value was not in a bank account. Our value wasn't in a home or a car or a business or a job. Our merit, our value was in our faith that we possessed in God. And we trusted God. We endured. Everything wasn't always right. But I tell you what, God was faithful. The world is not worthy. The world is not worthy of those type of folk. I pray you're one of those folks. Isn't that what, if you put it all in its context, isn't that what the author said? He said, we are not of those who turn back. But we are those who keep going forward. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm in a great battle in my life and I'm just facing a lot of things with the church. Just, I love it when our church just rallies to you. That's all I want to do today. We'll just rally to you in one group prayer. That's what it'll be. It takes courage to lift your hand up. It takes courage to walk the aisle. It takes courage to say, I just need somebody to stand with me. I want to ask you, if that's you today, to have the courage to lift your hand up. Lift your hand up quickly. And then add to it. Come right to the front. Add to it. Don't, don't let the devil talk you out of it. We just want to add our agreement.